Special thanks to CHR Hansen, a leader in fermentation and innovative brewing solutions. CHR Hansen's range of high-quality yeasts includes Smart Bev Near, which crafts flavorful beer entirely without the alcohol. These yeasts even enable fast, climate-friendly, and cost-efficient production. We thank CHR Hansen for their support and commitment to excellence in brewing. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Berkeley Yeast, creators of diacetyl-free yeast strains. Diacetyl-free strains are bioengineered to produce the ALDC enzyme inside the yeast cell to keep diacetyl low during fermentation and after packaging. Diacetyl-free strains create the cleanest flavor profile possible, which makes them the yeast of choice for the most exacting brewer. Go to berkeleyyeast.com to read about how brewers are using diacetyl-free strains to propel their beers to the top of the podium. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. What you're about to hear originally aired in December of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. to be able to get to lower VDK numbers and to a better shelf stability while still hitting all of our brand targets in a shorter period of time and saving potentially, you know, 48 or 72 hours of tank time. This week on the show, presenters from the Juicy Dry Hopping Workshop in Calgary join us to talk about their quest to maximize flavor, aroma, and efficiency in heavily dry hopped beers. I'm Ryan Donovan with Oscar Blues. Hi, I'm Ben Edmonds with Breakside Brewery. Evan Partridge at Firestone Walker Brewery. Daniel Sharp, Director of Brewing Operations at Ninkasi Brewing Company. Ryan, Oscar Blues has tried it all over the years. Dry hopping cold, warm, with yeast, without yeast, agitated, static, rousing, recirculation, you name it. Before you talk about what's working best for you these days, let's hear about some of the strategies that didn't work so well for you and why. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'd say that something within all of those methods at some point went went horribly wrong. Um, really, I think the one of the biggest things for us was was figuring out how to balance a high hop load with some of these different methods of rousing and or recirculating. So the, the, with these juicy styles, and this is what we were up there talking about today, uh, the hop loads just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but obviously when you try to maximize what you pull out of those, you're going to get all the negatives along with it. So uh, 
particularly with recirculating, I mean, it's the, it's the best course to get everything homogenized and to really get a, a consistent product, but you also have to understand what you're working with. So we've recirculated hops uh, with yeast in the slurry, and it just smelled like absolute garbage, literally like garbage. And that's all those sulfur compounds that you're pulling out, shearing hops, shearing yeast. So um, I'd say we've dialed in procedures by this point, but we're not afraid to try things, but we're, uh, we have been cautious over the years because... You don't want to. You don't want to be. That smells like broccoli. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Well, describe your current process and uh, what it's accomplishing that some of these other attempts couldn't. Well, we we still use a, a variety of techniques and variety of methods based uh, depending on the brand. Um, I, I think the most relevant to this com- conversation is dry hopping with yeast, but with a very controlled amount of yeast. Okay. Um, so we're engaging some hop creep. Uh, because there is still some activity. We're still at fermentation temperature, allowing the enzymatic activity to do something with viable yeast in solution, just only a, a, a controlled amount so that the, the creep doesn't so kind of run away from us and we end up with a VDK bomb. So I mean, we've got half the brewery trained in how to do solution counts now so that when we're trying to remove yeast, we get it to a very specific level throughout the tank uh, before we put the hops in. Okay, great. All right, let's hear from Ben. Ben, uh, talk about what juicy means in your brewery and also how traditional IPA is evolving under the influence of hazy or juicy IPA. As this whole phenomenon of kind of new, I guess what we call modern IPAs, uh, has evolved in the last five, six, seven years, I think the term juicy has been kind of bandied about in a number of different ways. Um, and we wanted to define what that meant for us as we started going down the path of both creating new beers and changing some older ones. Uh, so between what our peers had done and what we've talked about internally on our sensory panels, you know, we identified a number of different traits. Um, obviously, intense hop aroma is a huge part of that, with a flavor that's really led by fruity and tropical characteristics. Lower traditional, uh, lower amounts of kind of traditional citrus or European hop character. Also, quite a bit more of a, what I would describe always as a rich and kind of lush hop flavor across the entire palate. Um, an intensity of kind of satiating hop character that finished with a refined bitterness, you know, with some bitterness still there, but there was a lot more uh, mouth coating and kind of, um, yeah, satiating is probably the best word that I can think of. Uh, you know, and then I think freshness is a huge part of this as well, but uh, those are kind of the three components that we've focused on, um, whether the beer is clear or hazy. And then our own beers have evolved, you know, Brexit IPA remains our uh, best-selling beer for nearly 10 years now. But if you look at how that beer's evolved over the but years... it's not the same beer anymore, is it? it well, you know, it's like that, uh, it's the boat question, right? It's a famous question of philosophy. Uh, it is, it, it's, it's the same name beer, yeah. Uh, but it is pretty different than it was in 2014 um, when it was, you know, 15 Play-Doh beer that was 7 DBUs. Now it's a 13.8 Play-Doh beer, uh, that's closer to 48, 49, 50 BUs. And those changes have been instigated at the behest of what we see as changing consumer preference for beers that are a little bit softer in their bitterness, but still are ex- incredibly expressive in, in terms of hop flavor and aroma. Okay, you've mentioned that sensory, that the sensory data at Breakside shows that shelf stability in your hazy, juicy IPAs um, is, is, isn't any worse than that of your clear IPAs. That said, talk about your freshness targets and what you've learned there. Yeah, we try and uh, keep a real stranglehold on pipeline. I think that there is something to be said that 
the rise in interest in people buying, say, you know, canned four packs, or uh, you know, the rise in interest in hazy IPAs is there's something in consumer psychology that's or beer consumer psychology that's akin to people who want to buy their vegetables fresh from a farmer's market or their meat local from a butcher rather than buying it a major chain. Um, and I think as a mid-sized and growing brewery, one of the biggest challenges we have to face is to look at ourselves honestly and say, how do we keep these beers really fresh so that they're landing in front of consumers at 20, 25 days, not at 60, 70, 80, 90 days, even if that beer can still pass sensory uh, benchmarks at that point. And so for us, that's always started by having uh, logistics and shipping and fulfillment be kind of tied in with brewery operations. Um, we really, warehousing and logistics report to our director of brewing ops, and so we brew to consumer consumption date rather than to any kind of warehouse, uh, sorry, any kind of um, production quota. You did some hop addition timing trials. What did you want to learn with that project? Yeah, uh, like uh, Ryan had mentioned about what they were dealing with Oscar Blues in terms of hop creep, we also have been trying to kind of get our arms around hop creep and understand how to both take advantage of it but not let it cripple and um, paralyze our production schedule. So in this case, our director of quality had a, what turned out to be a really smart idea was to try moving up a portion of our dry hop from our normal time to an earlier point in fermentation to see if we could kind of accelerate the entire uh, metabolic curve of hop creep. And we're still in the early phases of testing this, but it seems encouraging. We seem to be able to get to lower VDK numbers and to a better shelf stability while still hitting all of our brand targets in a shorter period of time and saving potentially you know, 48 or 72 hours of tank time. Awesome. Evan, uh, don't get me wrong. I love the folks we have in this industry who are doing all kinds of amazing hop research, but hops are taking all the credit, and it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, and like I was saying in the, uh, in the talk, we brought a whole new yeast strain into our brewery just to brew uh, these new juicy style beers, uh, which is a big deal for us because we only have two uh, yeast strains. So, you know, when we were looking at it, we were brewing, um, you know, batches of beer with our house ale yeast, um, and we just weren't getting these juicy flavors that we uh, really wanted from this style. And it was only until we brought a new ale strain in uh, that we were really actually able to get these uh, newer, juicy flavors that we're looking for. Coming up. We actually pulled out a lot of the hops that were heavy in thiols, um, and that actually kind of got rid of some of those uh, sulfury aromas. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. This episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG, who invite you to experience one of the newest hops from their hop solutions line, HS Grove. Developed for hop-forward beer styles, HS Grove boasts incredible biotransformation qualities, giving you the power to transform your next IPA into a stone fruit powerhouse. 
Choose HS Grove for West Coast IPA, New England IPA, Double IPA, American Pale Ale, or any beer style where delicious fresh fruit aromatics are desired. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top-quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. District Milwaukee meets January 18th at Working Draft Beer Company in Madison. District New England meets at Martha's Exchange January 26th and 27th. The 2024 Ontario Technical Conference is January 31st through the 2nd at the Pillar and Post. District St. Paul Minneapolis meets at Surly February 15th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. District St. Louis meets at Top Golf in Chesterfield February 26th. District St. Louis's March Shop Talk will be at Blue Jay Brewing March 21st. The District St. Louis Spring Quarterly Meeting is April 8th. District St. Louis has a joint social with the St. Louis chapter of the Pink Boots Society May 9th at Nine Mile Garden. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 6th. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Firestone did some trials that pitted the house ale strain against a new juicy strain. Give us some data points. Yeah, so um, overall, this uh, this new juicy yeast just produces more esters across the board. 
uh, almost in every way except for uh, isoleomoacetate. Um, one interesting one to point out is ethyl butyrate, which it produced a lot more of. Uh, we get this huge pineapple character from our beer, um, and you know maybe that extra ethyl butyrate is kind of helping the perceived uh, pineapple character of that beer. Um, also, if you're kind of looking at uh, terpenes, um, you know overall the beers that were made with the juicy yeast had a slightly elevated terpenes. Um, this yeast does throw a lot more haze than our house ale yeast does. Uh, so that might be acting as a carrier. And interestingly, we, we see a ton of citronellol uh, in the beer brew with the juicy yeast um, as opposed to the house ale yeast. You ran into an unpleasant aroma during this process. Talk about that as well as what you did about it. Yeah, so, um, you know, when we were doing the side-by-side batches, uh, we noticed that we were getting a lot of sulfur aromas coming out of the batch uh, brewed with, um, with the juicy yeast. Um, a lot of like onion garlic in our hops, um, but we couldn't really put our finger on it. Uh, we can't really measure sulfurs at the brewery, so we sent it out to an external lab. And um, it came back that we had a lot of uh, extra methyl thioacetate in the, in the beer made with the juice yeast as opposed to the house ale yeast. Um, we looked into it a little bit, and um, yeast can actually convert, um, you know, mercaptans and things like hops into methyl thioacetate. Um, so it's just a theory, but we thought that, you know, maybe we were just getting some biotransformation with this juicy yeast. Uh, and so one thing we did um, was we actually pulled out a lot of the hops that were heavy in thiols. Um, and that actually kind of got rid of some of those uh, sulfury aromas. We didn't actually get a chance to prove that that was exactly what happened. But it was just kind of an interesting way of how, you know, using sensory uh, to drive some analytics um, and then make changes to your process going forward to make your beer better makes sense talk about how you dry hop for juice yeah so um we're looking to get towards the very end of fermentation uh but there's still going to be a little bit uh left we uh dry hop warm and um before we dry hop we're basically checking cell counts uh checking gravities and then we either dump the yeast or we get a harvest uh, off the tank, so the real and you know the trick for us is to basically find that point where um, you enough yeast is flocked out to where you can get a good harvest, uh, but you still have enough yeast in suspension to get some of those biotransformation characteristics. Um, we do three days of contact time, um, and then one thing I think that we actually don't do that a lot of breweries do is that we do no rousing, uh, no mixing. Uh, no recirculation. We basically use a hop cannon, blow the hops into the top, and uh, let them do their thing. And we we hope that there's enough agitation from the fermentation. Um, And as I mentioned, just the fact that we have really tall, skinny tanks, I think we get some more extraction than you would from uh, smaller tanks from a brewery. Ben, that's true for you too, right? You guys don't do any rousing either, right? Yeah, that's correct. In our large tanks, we're uh, we're just letting them settle. Actually, I was going to ask Evan a question, though, is do you guys do any rousing or recirculation on the smaller tanks down in Venice? Yeah, yeah, down in Venice, we uh, we actually do rouse them with CO2 from the bottom. Yep. Yeah, and, and at Breakside, we do the same with the 10 and 20 barrel tanks. So and why is that? What's the difference? I think for us, we believe that the contact time, two things. One is that we're not getting as long of a kind of contact time in the liquid column, but also that we're actually able to effectively get the hops back into solution far enough in a taller tank. I just don't think we're getting it very far up. 
Yeah, I mean, like if you if you dry hop on a twenty barrel tank and you open up the bottom of the tank, you're going to get hops almost immediately. So I, I just think that you know it's good to recirculate your you know rouse. Okay, uh, talk about how you manage hop creep. Well, we basically just had to get well a couple of things dialed in. So we really um, you know we did a test where we tried raising the mash temperature uh, and realized that we were making you know we we're trying to raise up our ending gravity. Uh, we raised the mash temperature. The um, you know the fermentability of the wort uh, went down, but after we added the hops, uh, it just fermented all the way out anyway. Um, so we just kind of decided to embrace the, that we were going to get some hop creep, and then once we did that, um, we started just working on making everything as consistently as you know consistent as we possibly can. Um, so we're normally brewing this beer on the same day of the week. Uh, we're you know trying to brew this beer uh, when our uh, brew house is hot, and you know don't want to come into a cold brew house that'll mess up your ferment, like your uh, wort fermentability. Um, and then just we've always been super militant about um, yeast pitch rates, uh, yeast uh, viability, um, and then also kind of trying to uh, dry hop at the same time under the same circumstances. Um, as you can kind of see, you know, maybe so we've been brewing this beer since last December, and um, about in the middle of May, we actually seemed like we kind of got the uh, hop creep under control. Daniel, you wanted to evaluate Whirlpool versus Dry Hop Aroma at Ninkasi. Talk about that project. Yeah, actually, so that project was done at Oregon State University, uh, working on my PhD there. Um, that project was mostly just looking at 12 different hop cultivars, uh, single hop beers, and examining either them in the Whirlpool format or the Dry Hop format. And, uh, yeah, basically what we saw is... Typically, the, uh, from a sensory perspective, two groups being separated out, the whirlpool and the dry hop, from just the sensory results specifically. Um, and an overall intensity or hop aroma intensity increase as you're moving from within a variety from whirlpool to dry hop. Getting into biotransformation, you asked the question, does hopping regime influence glycoside extraction? Does it? No, uh, at least from the studies that we, sh we saw. Um, and to, to kind of go back on this, we did a ton of work on glycosides, everything from hopping regime, hop cultivar, um, enzyme type, yeast type. Uh, and we found that really when it comes down to it, there's not a whole lot of uh, terpene alcohol glycosides present in hops, at least um, from what we were able to see. And so that even with the hopping regime, it was pretty, a pretty minimal effect. Do you want to talk about the flavor stability testing that you guys did? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so the study kind of first started with a study done in partnership with Oregon State University, um, Brad Barnett's study looking at the impact of dissolved oxygen and temperature on dry hop beers. And so he basically took a look at different storage conditions, uh, forced aged and force stored warm and cold stored beers and then injected those beers with different amounts of dissolved oxygen and basically the findings show that temperature played a much bigger role compared to dissolved oxygen as it as it relates to aged beer at uh, sensory attributes um, and then building off of that we performed a, a much longer shelf life study looking primarily at temperature and storage time um, 
with one of our, our, our core brand beers, Hazy Domination, uh, looking at basically warm storage, cold storage, and then a combination of warm and cold storage over the course of uh, 120 days. Talk, tell us more about that. Yeah, so uh, basically trying to uh, look at the sensory impact of storing beer cold versus storing it warm over a period of time. And the main things that we saw come out of this was that even over 90 days uh, stored cold, the beer doesn't seem to really degrade that much in terms of aged beer attributes. Uh, but then as we get past 100 or 90 days, we start seeing uh, the, the hop aroma intensity go down a little bit. And then particularly with the warm stored samples, even as little as 30 days, and I think Ben mentioned it in his talk earlier today that even in less than around, what, five days or something like that, uh, seeing pretty rapid decline of, of uh, the beer quality, flavor stability. And I should point out that these beers, uh, the, a few folks asked the question about the dissolved oxygen levels on, this, on these beers. These were all pretty low. We have an internal spec of below 80 ppb. Um, and then also, based on that previous study that I was just mentioning, how DO is kind of a more secondary effect on terms of beer, beer aging compared to temperature and time. That was Ryan Donovan, Ben Edmonds, Edvin Partridge, and Daniel Sharp live from the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of the Juicy Dry Hopping Workshop presentations, along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a link. Master Brewers members don't just get free access to the annual conference proceedings, we also get access to the hundreds of presentations that take place at all of the individual district meetings. But there's only one way to be sure that invaluable searchable archive reaches its full potential. I know you want to see that happen as much as I do, so let's talk about how you can help. Ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Precision Fermentation, and the Lupulin Exchange. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 